Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of his word. Thanks, Pastor Nathan. Yes, it's a, it's a joy to preach in the morning and even more to preach on the book of Revelation. So he's really set me up well. I think he must be a bit lonely. He, uh, he started a series on Revelation, so obviously he wants some emails, and now he's chucking his young adults pastor in to teach from it. So he's, uh, he's really ready to go. But I am really excited to, to preach from Revelation this morning. And um, this week has been a, a pleasure, I guess, uh, unpacking this passage and, and seeing what is in there. Because uh, to be honest, uh, Pastor Nathan shared last week that there's a, there's a few groups of people that read Revelation. There's, there's those that read it almost as the only Bible and they give it way too much weight. Or there's people that completely avoid it. And to be honest, I don't think I've read it that much. I think I've been more in that second category and been like, well, it's a little bit scary. I'm not sure if I want to go there. Uh, but this week has been, I think, an overwhelming sense of relief and excitement that Revelation is just another book in the Bible. It's another book that its purpose is to point us to Jesus, and its point is that we will worship him more. So um, my prayer this morning is that as we do unpack this first letter, this letter to Ephesus, that, that you will feel that same relief, I guess, and that excitement, and your eyes will be even more on Christ as we do that. All right. I'm ready to go. So um, when I first moved to Brisbane, these seven letters, as I mentioned, we're, we're going to start the seven letters now. When I first moved to Brisbane, I had the pleasure, and many of you I'm sure have done this, I started looking around the auditorium then as if you were in here. You're not, you're there. Um, when you first come to a, a new place, you do a thing called church shopping. And yes, I said church shopping, not church hopping. Church hopping is what our young adults do when they're trying to find their partner. But church shopping is the thing you do when you want to find the church you want to be planted in. So when I first moved to Brisbane, I did this. I started kind of going around. Um, I need to admit this is kind of my personality. For the first six months, I think I was going to three different churches regularly um, because I liked all of them. So I was like, well, let's have all of them. I'm like that kid with the tacos. Why not do both? Um, But eventually I decided on one I was going to plant myself in. But when we do church shopping, what we do is we we basically make external judgments. So we'll, we'll look at the worship, we'll decide, do we like the way this church worships? Do we like the teaching? Do we like the preaching? Uh, and then we'll go even a step further, do we like the people? Do we feel like we connect with the people that are part of this church? And um, do I like the values that this church holds? And these seven letters, they're kind of a cheat sheet for Asia Minor at that time. They're kind of a cheat sheet if you wanted to do church shopping, But they're a little bit different to the church shopping we do because it's done by Jesus himself. So what he's doing, he's not judging it by the externals, but he has the ability to go straight to the heart of what that church is going through. And so as as we unpack this, it's important to understand that this is Jesus talking to his church and unpacking the things that he wants them to see are going on and bring them closer to him. Because in the end, we are his church. We are the bride of Christ. So my prayer this morning is that you do allow him to speak to you. Because this isn't a letter to Nexus. This isn't a letter that's written directly to us. But absolutely, in all seven of these letters, there are letters, there are God principles that we can apply to ourselves. And and it's not one that we hold at arm's length and say, yeah, this is for that church. They need to know this. But this is something we need to hold up to ourselves and allow to speak to our own hearts. So as we're reading this and as we unpack the truths of it, my prayer is that you allow the Holy Spirit to... I guess let it pierce your heart and and see if this is something that that Jesus would be saying to you if he was to do an audit of your heart. So let's jump straight in. So the passage is Revelation 2, 1 to 7. 
And I'm sure it'll be up on the screen because our tech team are amazing at putting stuff up so everyone can see. I can see it on a TV. How cool. I'm going to read it from here, though. So Revelation 2, 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So basically it's saying these are the words of the one who is, his, who is sovereign, Jesus, and also is present, has access to his church and is walking amongst his church. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God." I am so pumped I got this letter. This is a good letter. It's, a, it's amazing as I was reading through the seven letters, there's all of these phrases that I think we throw around and maybe we didn't know they were from Revelation. And this one, you have forsaken the love you had at first, is, is something we've heard a lot of times. And um, So before we get into that, I just want to give you a really brief background on Ephesus because it's important to know that, uh, to understand, I guess, the environment that that church was placed within. Um, it's a, uh, sorry, Andy, I'm coming in my ear. I'm going to take my ear out if that's all right. So the picture of Ephesus, the, the Ephesus that, we're, that this letter is to, is Ephesus is a thriving city. It's a, it's a cultural melting pot. There's people from all walks of life that are ending up there. Everything is big. There's this huge amphitheater that hugs the hill, the hill overlooking the port. There is a massive temple there, the Temple of Artemis. That is this incredible place where um, many people would come and worship. And they reckon that there were over 14 gods that would have been worshipped there. So you can understand there's many voices that are wanting to be heard and many ideas that are wanting to be shared. So this is the environment that the church of Ephesus is in. Uh, at this temple, there was also this tree. And it was um, basically this tree, this sacred tree was a point of asylum. So Ephesus attracted many criminals, people of all types, uh, whether they'd escaped, whether they were slaves who had escaped their masters, whether they were uh, petty thieves, they just stole a bit of bread, or whether they were war criminals. Maybe they'd killed many people. If they ran to this tree, basically if they stayed within the vicinity of that tree, they, wouldn't, they could not be tried for their crime. So this was a place of asylum for them. This is the city that the church of Ephesus was living. The Ephesian church itself had many great leaders come through. So Paul spent some time there. Timothy spent some time there. And uh, it's believed that John, who's, who writes Revelation, himself spent a, quite a few years leading this church. So you can understand they've had many great leaders come through. And um, it's basically... It, as far as the early church goes, the church of Ephesus was really looked upon uh, as the shining light. They were the ones that were doing it well. They were the ones that knew what was going on and were really striving for Jesus. And so with John leading that church, John basically had these two characteristics he were known as. Jesus called him the son of thunder. So he and James, he, he gave them the nicknames the son of thunder. They were zealots. They were super passionate guys, maybe even at times to the point of being aggressive. Uh, and that's, that's one of the characteristics of John. The other one is that he describes himself in the Gospels as the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
So he understood the importance of love. And, and these two characteristics were very uh, clear in the church of Ephesus. So they were a church full of zeal and they were a church full of love. And we see here that in this vision that John gets for the church in Ephesus, you imagine when, when he was receiving the words for the church in Ephesus, he would have had a, a bit of extra uh, oomph kind of wanting to know what Jesus wanted to say to his, his church that he was a part of before, he would be hearing that there's these two things and Jesus speaks to those two things. So I want to speak to the first one. So those two things, remember, of John, he was a man of zeal, so he was a zealot and he was a man of love. So the first one is the Ephesian church is commended by Jesus for defending their position. Uh, at the moment, I'm watching this show. Uh, Ree's not really into it, but I, I really like it. It's called Deadliest Catch. It's got so many seasons. It's been going for years. And basically, it's this, this group of fishermen on all these different boats that in this one window of time in the year can go out and can fish for king crab. And it's, the, it's up in the, near Alaska. I believe it's in the Bering Sea is where they do this fishing. And uh, these men on these boats and women, so, uh, in the first season it was all men, but now women are in there too catching the crab and, and captaining these ships. They're withstanding all these insane weather events. There's huge storms coming through. It's freezing cold, but they never stop crabbing. They keep on chucking these giant crab pots off the boat. No matter what's happening, the captain's up in his um, nice little bit up top and all the guys are on the, on the deck down below making sure they're doing their crabbing. And I feel like this is kind of a picture of what the Ephesian church was. No matter what was coming their way, they were keeping on going forward with their purpose. They were so focused and so determined to defend their position and to defend their faith. And it's important remembering this is a city that had over 14 deities worshipped. It would be easy for um, other voices to get louder, but they were so intent on defending their position and Jesus commends this within them. The words that they use there, so I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. So hard work is, is this intense labour united with toil and hard things. And perseverance is an unswerving endurance. So they're really being commended by Jesus for doing those two things. And then it then goes, so I cannot, this is then Jesus' words after this, I, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. So the church of Ephesus, so again, the city of Ephesus is attracting people from all over. So they would have had many travelling uh, preachers and travelling apostles who claimed to be sharing the good news. And the church of Ephesus kind of took it as their thing to do, was to call people out for being false apostles. And they really held to this and, and they knew the importance of having pure doctrine. And that's something important for us as well. We need to make sure that, that what we believe is true because bad doctrine hurts people. How many times have we seen maybe a church to get slightly off the rails a little bit and just slightly different trajectory? People get hurt. But if you hold true to the doctrine of Jesus, people will be loved and people will be saved. And, and this is something that the church of Ephesus did and they, they held to that with an unswerving endurance. And so Jesus is commending them for this. Thanks for standing strong. You're doing a great job. Keep doing it. Keep standing strong in my name. Keep on standing against wickedness and keep on calling out people that are claiming to be my followers but are not. You know, it's, it's interesting, in Ephesians, and Nathan shared this on Wednesday at our prayer meeting about the armour of God. This is Paul encouraging the church of Ephesus and he is encouraging them to stand firm. He's encouraging them to put on the full armour of God. And it's clear that they've done this. 
they've listened to this advice and they've, they've continued down this path. And it's amazing when you get a bit more of the context of, of what was going on in their city, why Paul was writing to them, stand firm. Stand firm. There's all these rival voices. And this is, this is a key concept in Revelation. There are always going to be rival voices. Which is the voice you're going to worship? Which is the voice that you're going to stand and, and listen to? And what are the voices you're going to turn down in your life? How clear is that today? We've got so many voices swinging through today. I actually, I, I want to encourage you, and I'm going to encourage this in myself as well, maybe it's time to switch off the social media feed. This isn't just our young adults. This is people of all ages. There are so many voices that are coming through your social media that are just breeding fear. And if a voice is breeding fear, turn it down. We don't need to breed more fear in our lives. We need to breed faith. We need to be a people of love and faith. So if you have too many voices that are making you fearful, that are making you feel anxious, turn it down. It's really easy. You just have to turn it off. Log out of your social media. We actually don't have to keep looking at it. It's amazing. There's other, there's other ways you can find out what's going on in the world. And there's an incredible amount of uh, faith that can be grown in just reading the scriptures. Why don't you jump in there? There's truth there. And we can, like the Ephesians, hold true to true doctrine. And then people won't be getting hurt around us because we're holding to the truth. Anyway, there's my little bandwagon for a moment. But so that's the first bit. They're holding on to that first thing that John does very well, and that is zeal. And the, effort, the church of Ephesus is doing that. But then we see that this letter takes a turn. Jesus takes a turn and he says to them, yet I hold this against you. And you imagine when, when John was writing this, this probably would have broke his heart because this church that he'd led that was so full of love and so full of zeal, he's hearing that they've forsaken the love that they had at first. They've forgotten the person that this purpose is attached to. I, um, growing up, I, I, love, I loved having pets. My poor parents, I always wanted pets. I would be asking, oh, can we get a dog? Can we get a cat? And sometimes I'd just show up with a pet. I remember I showed up this one time with a cat. I don't even like cats, but this cat needed a home. So I took it back and I got a golden staph infection. So me and that cat became good buddies. Ended up being a bit of an evil cat. So sorry, mum and dad about that, but it's all good. Uh, but I've always loved pets. And, and I feel like this whole idea of forsaking your first love is something that I feel many of us have done as kids. We go to our parents and we're like, Mom, Dad, can I have a dog? I really want a dog. Like, a dog would make my life so much better. And I'll look after it. I'll feed it. I'll take it for walks. I'll do all of this. I'm hearing some amens down here. I think this is what Nathan probably said to Beck. Um, I'll do all of these things. I'll look after this dog, and I will always do it. You won't even know we have a dog. And then over time, for the first two weeks, you kill it. Or you keep it alive. You do, you do all the things that you need to do to look after that dog. You're, you're taking it for a walk every day. You're getting up early. You're even crate training it. You do all the training things. And then over time, you start to go, oh, it's all good. I don't need to walk it today. It's all right. Mum will feed it. And over time, the dog that was yours becomes your parents because they have to do all the caring. We've all been there. We've all done that. And this is kind of what's happening in the church of Ephesus. They started with understanding who they were worshipping and they had that zeal, they were doing those things, they were people of devotion. But then over time, they started to forget, they were so intent on defending their position that they forgot the person that they were really meant to be building relationship with. 
and over time this this intent to defend their doctrine and fair enough if there were 14 other religions really having a crack in your city and you felt like they were taking your territory you absolutely would have a steely I, I guess presence you would want to be holding your ground and you would want to be standing firm and that's a good thing but what's happened is over time in their intent to stand firm their hearts have actually grown cold and the, the message of Christ is not something for us to just hold on to ourselves and defend and, and keep behind a wall. The message of Christ is something we need to be sharing with others and loving those around us. So for them, they'd lost this. They'd lost the heart of the gospel. They'd kept the truth of the gospel but lost the heart of the gospel. And so I guess the question today is, we bring it back to a personal level, is your heart growing cold? Are you so intent on defending your position that maybe you've forgotten to love those around you? A real key indicator of this, are you finding it difficult to love those around you? Do the people around you really frustrate you? Do you, do you feel like you just want to push back all the time? Do you feel like you just always have to have an answer? Well, I would suggest that maybe you need to come back to the first things that you experienced when you encountered Jesus. Because this is a clear indicator that there's a, there's a deeper heart issue going on within you. I think this is more important than ever with the, the world of information we've got in, and people wanting to be right and people wanting to know the truth. Everyone's claiming they've got the truth. Everyone's very sure that their truth is the absolute truth. But when someone comes to you with maybe a, a different idea of truth, what's your response? Is your response to battle them with your intellect? Is your response to, to meet them with their brain, with your brain? Are you trying to beat them that way? Or do you want to meet them with love? Because this is what sets Christianity apart from all other movements in the world. This is the movement where we get to love those around us. We've just come out of a, an incredible series on Holy Spirit. And I am fascinated all the time at how the Holy Spirit cuts through and breaks down questions. People that have questions coming out their ears. They have so many questions, so many doubts. And then in one moment, they encounter the Holy Spirit and all of that is redundant. So we need to be people that are spirit-led, not intellect-led. I'm not saying don't be smart, don't use your brain. But we need to be relying on the Holy Spirit. And this is something that the church in Ephesus had lost. Thank you, Marta. It's good Cam and Marta are on the, the cameras there, and I can see their silhouettes, so I can see them saying, woo! So thank you, Marta. Very good. Uh, uh, and it's, it's, it's worth mentioning here. So there's a, there's a little sentence after Jesus talks about coming back to your first love. And um, actually, before I go there, when he's talking about coming back to your first love, He's telling them to remember the things they did at the start. So when you first encounter Jesus, what are the things you do at the start? You want to be in prayer. You want to be reading the Word. It's, a, it's amazing when you talk to these people coming through Alpha that they just cannot get enough of the Word. They don't understand what they're reading, but they just want to ingest it. They just want to take it all in. And they want to be out and they want to serve everywhere. They want to be a part of every team. And that zeal is strong. And it's not zeal for just truth, but it's just zeal to be a part of whatever God's doing. And so if you're struggling and if you feel like you've forsaken the love you had at first, maybe you need to go back to that point. But we'll get to that in a second. 
So the other group here, and it says it in verse 6, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a compliment sandwich that Jesus does for this church. And he says, but you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he's, he's given them approval, he's given them a challenge, and then he's given them another little approval. And I, I think he does this because he doesn't want the pendulum to swing so far that they move away from truth to just being a people of compromise. Because it's, it's easy. The Nicolaitans, we don't know heaps about them. But it's thought that what they were trying to do was create this kind of pseudo-Christianity that took a, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of culture, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And he's encouraging them, don't do that. We can't have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's got to be all Jesus. And so he's saying, don't, in, in you forgetting love, don't then go all the way away from truth that you're just like, we need to love everybody and accept everybody and just take it as it is. He's saying, hold true to your truth but also love those around you. Because if you do one or the other, it actually makes the other one dead. Truth without love is barely truth, and love without truth is not genuine love. It needs to be all Jesus. So, how do we get back on track if we've let our love slip? How do we get back on track if, if we feel like we've been... We're doing that, we're Ephesians 6, we're standing firm, we've put on the full armour of God, but we're using it as a defensive position and we're not allowing others in and we're also then not loving others. How do we get back on track? It says in verse 5, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I want to start with that, that end bit there. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. It's actually kind of an eerie feeling being in this empty auditorium today. And this is a very real warning that Jesus is giving his people. He's saying, if you are not people of love, I will remove my lampstand from its place, which means you will no longer be my church. And this is actually what happened to the church in Ephesus. Well, I believe, because there's no church there anymore. So where Ephesus used to be, there's a few villages, there's many ruins, but there's no Christian church. So I guess we can, we can know that they, maybe they didn't heed the warning of Jesus. And it needs to be a sobering thing for us if we, if we don't repent. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that bit in a second. But if we don't repent, it's a very real warning that this empty auditorium will be the norm. Our churches, our buildings will be shells because the church is made up of people. And if people don't have their hearts set on Jesus, then what are they? And so it's, uh, let's then go to the good bit. Let's go to the bit where we can repent and we can get it all right and we'll be okay. So there it says, consider how far you've fallen. So consider, is bring into your mind. Think about where you first were when you encountered Jesus. And I want you to do that right now. I want you to think about that moment that you first encountered Jesus. And maybe it was a moment where he freed you from something. Maybe it was that, that moment you realized you no longer had to do it in your own strength. I want you to go back there. I want you to go back to what that feeling was. Maybe it was like Pastor Nathan said on Wednesday, it was just tears of joy. Maybe it was just a relief off your shoulders. Maybe it was you felt like all of a sudden you had purpose. But I want you to go back there. I want you to bring that to mind. And then think about where you are now. And consider how far you have fallen. How far are you from that point where you were first in love with Jesus? Because that gap, it's easy to make it up. It's all good. We can get back there. You don't, have to, you don't have to stay where you are. 
You don't have to keep struggling forward and feeling like you're, you're not doing it well and you're not feeling it. You just need to go back to the things you did at first. It's, uh, it's kind of like there's... Repentance is a funny one to me and, and we feel like as humans, when we're on a trajectory, we have to stay on that trajectory. It's like a, um, the first surfboards that were ever made were these basically just giant canoes and the idea was you had to point it in a direction and then that's just the direction it would stay and there's nothing you can do. Thank goodness they've developed it a little bit more and you can turn it now. But I think this is often how we feel in our lives. We feel like this is the trajectory I'm on. I have to stay here until a giant something happens, whether it's a move of God or something like that. But here it's saying, repent and do the things you did at first. Do you know you can change the trajectory you're on right now? You just have to hop off that boat. That's what repentance is. We know repentance is the turning 180, turning from, but I believe repentance is even more than that. Repentance is choosing to walk in, to, choosing to walk in the ways of God. And we can do that in a moment. If you feel like you're stuck on a trajectory, today you can make the choice to bail off that giant canoe. You no longer have to go on that path. All you need to do is repent, hop off, and then walk in His ways because His ways are greater. So if you are jumping off this canoe and you're wanting to find a new way, what are some things you can do, I guess, to redeem that first love? Go back to those things you did at the start. When we read about the early church, it's um, at the start of this uh, Holy Spirit series, we looked at the early church and, and what happened, what they did, and these incredible acts of generosity and, and looking after hospitality, looking after those around them and praying together, reading the word together. These are the things we need to do. And you can intentionally do that. You don't need to wait for a warm, fuzzy feeling to do that. You can just do that today. It's saying here, consider, bring to your mind how far you've fallen and then make the intentional decision to walk in his ways. And then that, it ends then with the, if you don't repent, your lampstand's going to be removed. So let's just repent and we'll do those things and that will be better. It's amazing though that you, you think about, uh, you can always tell when someone is on their honeymoon. When you're travelling, you can tell they're on their honeymoon. And the, the main reason is PDA. Too much PDA. I'm not an affectionate person. Rhea will be the first to tell you that. But you can tell when someone's on their honeymoon because they're, like, they're stuck together like flypaper and they just you can't get them apart from each other. And it's proximity. This is what it's talking about when it's saying come back to your first love. It's encouraging proximity. And this is something the church of Ephesus maybe lost. In their intent to hold on to truth, they'd lost their proximity with their Saviour and their Lord. Proximity is the key because we then head to verse 7 and it, it, it ends with a promise. It says this, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one, is, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. That's the promise for us. The promise is if we attach ourselves to Jesus, is if we walk with Jesus, we get to eat from the tree of life. We get to spend eternity with him. What a promise. But when the church of Ephesus read this, they would have actually read a little bit more than we read. We see that and we think about the tree of life in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden that we lost access to. 
And yes, that's true. Jesus gives us access to that again. But I want to take you back to that tree that was near the temple of Artemis. This tree was a, a symbol in Ephesus and it was, it was on their coins. It was, it was on many things. It was, a, it was an icon for their city. And when they see this tree, they're once again being reminded that they need to attach themselves to the one that gives them asylum. So let me remind you, the tree in Artemis, at the temple of Artemis, all criminals, if they'd done any crime, if they get within a certain vicinity of this tree, they, uh, they can't be tried for their crime. They can't be punished for their crime. And they have to stay within vicinity of that tree. This is what Jesus is for us. We need to run to Jesus. And no matter what we're carrying, no, what, no matter what we've brought, when we're in close proximity to Jesus, he carries our burdens. He's paid the price for our sins. And so for the church of Ephesus, they're being reminded, are you clinging to the tree of life? Are you clinging to the cross? There, the tree of life, the word tree there is the same word that's used for cross. And it's such a beautiful image that when we stay near the cross of Jesus, when we stay near Jesus himself, we too get asylum. We too get to be invited into paradise of God. We too get to be invited into eternal life. And going back to that honeymoon couple, PDA, they're keeping too close to one another. But this is what we need to do as Christians. We need to hold close to Jesus. And this is what these habits do. These things that you do when you first encounter Jesus, reading your word, praying, hospitality, being generous. These are all things that keep you close to him because these are acts of devotion. So this morning, maybe it's important to ask yourself, am I a person of no compromise Am I, am I defending true doctrine, true faith, true Christianity? If you are, that's fantastic. Is that married up with love? Are you loving those around you? Because it's not just about the position that you're holding, but it's about the person that is holding that position with you. And that's the key to faith. That's the key to our walk as Christians. It's not just about uh, being somewhere we want and holding our ground. Yes, that's important. But it's so important that we also stay with the one who, who firstly got that position. Or maybe you're the other way. Maybe you're a person of love and you're so accepting, you're great at accepting all people, but maybe you've let your doctrine slip a little bit. Maybe you've let your truth be swayed by culture of today. Can I encourage you to get back in the Word? Find out exactly what the gospel is because when the gospel is presented in its truth and in its fullness... It is the most beautiful thing. We cannot water down the gospel. We cannot water down the truth that Jesus has for our lives. Because when you have that, you can truly love those around you. I'll invite the team to go, oh, they're already coming. Good work, guys. Killing it. So, I guess my encouragement this morning is to love those around you and to be a people of no compromise. We're going, to, um, we're going to sing again. We're going to sing No Other Name. And this, this song, is, it's kind of a theme in, in, in Revelation. It's this theme of other names and other voices, rival voices trying to have a say and trying to, trying to steal our worship. But we're called to come back to the cross. We're called to come back and worship Jesus. Because if you are in close proximity to Jesus, you can truly worship and you can live a life that reflects His glory. We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. 
Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them, and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.